Act Three of The Bow Stratagem by George Barker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Scene One The Gallery in Lady Bountiful's House. Enter Mrs. Sullen. And Dorinda. <laughs> My dear sister, let me embrace thee. Now we are friends indeed, for I shall have a secret of yours as a pledge for mine. Now you'll be good for something. I shall have you conversable in the subjects of the sex. But do you think that I am so weak as to fall in love with a fellow at first sight? Pshaw! Now you spoil all. Why should not we be as free in our friendships as the men? I warrant you the gentleman has got to his confidant already, has avowed his passion, toasted your health, called you ten thousand angels, has run over your lips, eyes, neck, shape, air, and everything, in a description that warms their mirth to a second enjoyment. Your hand, sister, I ain't well. So she's breeding already. Come, child, up with it. Hem a little. So, now tell me. Don't you like the gentleman that we saw at church just now? The man's well enough. Well enough? Is he not a demigod, a narcissus, a star, the man in the moon? Oh, sister, I'm extremely ill. Shall I send to your mother, child, for a little of her cephalic plaster to put to the soles of your feet? Or shall I send the gentleman for something for you? Come, unlace your stays, unbosom yourself— the man is perfectly a pretty fellow. I saw him when he first came into church. I saw him too, sister, and with an air that shone, methought, like rays about his person. Well said. Up with it. No forward coquette behaviour, no airs to set him off, no studied looks nor artful posture, but nature did it all. Better and better. One touch more. Come. But then his looks. Did you observe his eyes? Yes, yes, I did. His eyes, well, what of his eyes? Sprightly, but not wandering. They seemed to view, but never gazed on anything but me. And then his looks so humble were, and yet so noble, that they aimed to tell me that he could with pride die at my feet, though he scorned slavery anywhere else. The physic works purely. How do you find yourself now, my dear? Hm, much better, my dear. Oh, here comes our Mercury. Enter Scrub. Well, Scrub, what news of the gentleman? Madam, I have brought you a packet of news. Open it quickly. Come. In the first place, I inquired who the gentleman was. They told me he was a stranger. Secondly, I asked what the gentleman was. They answered and said they never saw him before. Thirdly, I inquired what countryman he was. They replied twas more than they knew. Fourthly, I demanded whence he came. Their answer was they could not tell. And fifthly, I asked whither he went, and they replied they knew nothing of the matter. And that is all I could learn. But what do the people say? Can't they guess? Why, some think he's a spy. Some guess he's a mountebank. Some say one thing, some another. But for my own part, I believe he's a Jesuit. 
A Jesuit? Why a Jesuit? Because he keeps his horses always ready saddled and his footman talks French. His footman? Aye, he and the Count's footman were jabbering French like two intriguing ducks in a mill pond. And I believe they talked of me, for they laughed consumedly. What sort of livery has the footman? Livery, Lord, madam. I took him for a captain. He's so bedizened with lace. And then he has tops to his shoes up to his mid-leg. A silver-handled cane dangling at his knuckles. He carries his hands in his pockets, just so. Walks in the French air. And he has a fine long periwig tied up in a bag. Lord, madam, he's clear another sort of man than I. That may easily be. But what shall we do now, sister? I have it. This fellow has a world of simplicity, and some cunning. The first hides the latter by abundance. Scrub. Madam. We have a great mind to know who this gentleman is. Only for our satisfaction. Yes, madam. It would be his satisfaction, no doubt. You must go and get acquainted with his footman, and invite him hither to drink a bottle of your ale, because you're butler to-day. Yes, madam. I am butler every Sunday. Oh, brave. Sister. Am I conscience you understand the mathematics already? Tis the best plot in the world. Your mother, you know, be gone to church. My spouse will be gone to the alehouse with his scoundrels. The house will be our own. So we drop in by accident, and ask the fellow some questions ourselves. In the country, you know, any stranger is company, and we're glad to take up with the butler in a country dance, and happy if he'll do us the favour. Oh, madam, you wrong me. I never refuse your ladyship the favour in my life. Enter Gypsy. Ladies, dinner's upon table. Scrub, we'll excuse your waiting. Go where we ordered you. I shall. Exeunt. Act Three, Scene Two. A room in Boniface's inn. Enter Aimwell and Archer. Well, Tom, I find your marksman. A marksman? Who so blind could be as not discern a swan among the ravens? Well, but hark ye, Aimwell. Aimwell? Call me Orondates, Cesario, Amadis, all that romance can in a lover paint, and then I'll answer. Oh, Archer, I read her thousands in her looks. She looked like Ceres in her harvest. Corn, wine and oil, milk and honey, Gardens, groves, and purling streams played on her plenteous face. Her face, her pocket, you mean. The corn, wine, and oil lies there. In short, she has ten thousand pounds. That's the English on it. Her eyes are demi cannons, to be sure, so I won't stand their battery. Going. Pray excuse me. My passion must have vent. Passion? What a plague! Do you think these romantic airs will do our business? Were my temper as extravagant as yours, my adventures have something more romantic by half. Your adventures? Yes. The nymph that with her twice ten hundred pounds, with brazen engine hot and quaff clear starched, can fire the guest in warming of the bed. There's a touch of sublime Milton for you, and the subject but an innkeeper's daughter. I can play with a girl as an angler does with his fish. He keeps it at the end of his line, runs it up the stream and down the stream, till at last he brings it to hand, tickles the trout, 
and so whips it into his basket. Enter Boniface. Mr. Martin, as the saying is, yonder's an honest fellow below, my lady Bountiful's butler, who begs the honour that you would go home with him and see his cellar. Do my baisement to the gentleman, and tell him I will do myself the honour to wait on him immediately. Exit Boniface. What do I hear? Soft Orpheus play, and fair Tofty to sing. Pshaw! Damn your raptures! I tell you, here's a pump going to be put into the vessel, and the ship will get into harbour my life on it. You say there's another lady very handsome there? Yes, Faith. I'm in love with her already. Can't you give me a bill upon cherry in the meantime? No, no, friend. All her corn, wine, and oil is engrossed to my market. And once more I warn you to keep your anchorage clear of mine, for if you fall foul of me, by this light you shall go to the bottom. What, make a prize of my little frigate, while I am upon the cruise for you? Well, well, I won't. Exit Archer. Re-enter Boniface. Landlord, have you any tolerable company in the house? I don't care for dining alone. Yes, sir. There's a captain below, as the saying is. That arrived about an hour ago. Gentlemen of his coat are welcome everywhere. Will you make him a compliment from me, and tell him I should be glad of his company? Who shall I tell him, sir, would... Uh... Aimwell, aside... Ha! That the stroke was well thrown in. Aloud... I'm only a traveller, like himself, and would be glad of his company. That's all. I obey your commands, as the saying is. Exit. Re-enter Archer. Mrs. Death, I forgot. What title will you give yourself? My brother's, to be sure. He would never give me anything else. So I'll make bold with his honour this bout. You know the rest of your cue. Aye, aye. Exit. Enter Gibbet. Sir, I'm yours. Tis more than I deserve, sir, for I don't know you. I don't wonder at that, sir, for you never saw me before. Aside, I hope. And pray, sir, how came I by the honour of seeing you now? Sir, I scorn to intrude upon any gentleman, but my landlord? Oh, sir, I ask your pardon. You're the captain he told me of. At your service, sir. What regiment? May I be so bold? A marching regiment, sir, an old cop. Aim well, aside. Very old, if your coat be regimental. Aloud. You have served abroad, sir. Yes, sir, in the plantations. Twas my lot to be sent into the worst service. I would have quitted it indeed, but a man of honour, you know. Besides, twas for the good of my country that I should be abroad. Anything for the good of one's country? I'm a Roman for that. Aim well, aside. One of the first, I'll lay my life. Aloud. Uh, you found the West Indies very hot, sir. Aye, sir. Too hot for me. Pray, sir, haven't I seen your face at Will's Coffee House? Yes, sir. And at White's, too. And where is your company now, Captain? They ain't come yet. Why, do you expect them here? They'll be here tonight, sir. Which way do they march? Across the country. Aside. The devil's in it. If I hadn't said enough to encourage him to declare, 
but i am afraid he is not right i must tack about is your company to quarter in lichfield in this house sir what all my company's but thin ha 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 we are but three ha 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 you're merry sir i sir you must excuse me sir i understand the world especially the art of travelling i don't care sir for answering questions directly upon the road for i generally ride with a charge about me three or four i believe aside i am credibly informed that there are highwaymen upon the squatter not sir that i should suspect a gentleman of your figure but truly sir i have got such a way of evasion upon the road that i don't care for speaking truth to any man aimwell aside your caution may be necessary aloud then i presume you're no captain not i sir captain is a good travelling name and so i take it it stops a great many foolish inquiries that are generally made about gentlemen that travel it gives a man an air of something and makes the drawers obedient and thus far i am a captain and no farther and pray sir what is your true profession oh sir you must excuse me upon my word sir i don't think it's safe to tell ye <laughs> on my word i commend you re-enter boniface well mr boniface what's the news there's another gentleman below as the saying is that herein you were but two would be glad to make the third man if you would give him leave what is he a clergyman as the saying is a clergyman is he really a clergyman or is it only his travelling name as my friend the captain has it oh sir he's a priest and chaplain to the french officers in town is he a frenchman yes sir born at brussels a frenchman and a priest i won't be seen in his company sir i have a value for my reputation sir nay but captain since we are by ourselves can he speak english landlord very well sir you may know him as the saying is to be a foreigner by his accent and that's all then he's never been to england before uh, never sir but he's a master of languages as the saying is he talks latin it does me good to hear him talk latin then you understand latin mr boniface not i sir as the saying is but he talks it so very fast that i'm sure it must be good pray desire him to walk up here he is as the saying is enter foygar save you gentlemen's boat aimwell aside a frenchman to foygar sir your most humble servant oh dear joy i am your most faithful servant and yours also doctor you talk very good english but you have a mighty twang of a foreigner my english is a very veil for the words but we foreigners you know cannot bring our tongues about the pronunciation so soon aimwell aside a foreigner a downright teague by this light 
aloud. Were you born in France, Doctor? I was educated in France, but I was born at Brussels. I am a subject of the King of Spain, Joy. What King of Spain, sir? Speak. Upon my soul, Joy, I cannot tell you as yet. Nay, Captain, that was too hard upon the Doctor. He's a stranger. Oh, let him alone, dear Joy. I am of a nation that is not easily put out of countenance. Come, gentlemen, I'll end the dispute. Here, landlord, is dinner ready? Upon the table, as the saying is. Gentlemen, pray, that door. No, no, fay, the captain must lead. No, doctor, the church is our guide. Aye, aye, so it is. Exit Voigar, foremost, the others following. Act Three, Scene Three. The Gallery in Lady Bountiful's House. Enter Archer and Scrub, singing and hugging one another, the latter with a tankard in his hand, Gypsy listening at a distance. Oh, old doll, come, my dear boy, let's have that song once more. No, no, we shall disturb the family. But will you be sure to keep the secret? On my honour, as I am a gentleman. Tis enough. You must know, then, that my master is the Lord Viscount Aimwell. He fought a duel the other day in London, wounded his man so dangerously that he thinks fit to withdraw till he hears whether the gentleman's wounds to be mortal or not. He never was in this part of England before, so he chose to retire to this place, that's all. And that's enough for me. Exit. Where were you when your master fought? We never know of our master's quarrels. No. If our masters in the country here receive a challenge, the first thing they do is to tell their wives. The wives tell the servants, the servants alarm the tenants, and in half an hour you shall have the whole country in arms. To hinder two men from doing what they have no mind for. But if you should chance to talk now of my business... Talk? I, sir, had I not learned the knack of holding my tongue, I had never lived so long in a great family. Aye, aye, to be sure, there are secrets in all families. Secrets, aye, but I'll say no more. Come, sit down, and we'll make an end to our tanker, dear. Gives Archer the tankard. With all my heart. Who knows, but you and I may come to be better acquainted, eh? Here's your lady's health. You have three, I think, and to be sure, there must be secrets among them. Drinks. Secrets. I friend. I wish I had a friend. Am not I your friend? Come, you and I were sworn brothers. Shall we? From this minute. Give me a kiss, and no brother scrub. And now, brother Martin, I will tell you a secret that will make your hair stand on end. You must know that I am consumedly in love. That's a terrible secret. That's the truth on it. That jade gypsy that was with us just now in the cellar is the errandest whore that ever wore a petticoat, and I'm dying for love of her. <laughs> Are you in love with her person, her virtue, Brother Scrub? I should like virtue best, because it is more durable than beauty, for virtue holds good with some women long, and many a day after they have lost it. In the country, I grant ye where no woman's virtue is lost till a bastard be found. Aye, could I bring her to a bastard? 
I should have her all to myself, but I dare not put it upon the way for fear of being sent for a soldier. Pray, brother, how do you gentlemen in London like this same pressing act? Very ill, brother Scrub. Tis the worst that ever was made for us. Formerly I remember the good days, when we could dun our masters for our wage, and if they refused to pay us, we could have a warrant to carry em before a justice. But now if we talk of eating, they have a warrant for us, and carry us before three justices. And to be sure we go, if we talk of eating, for the justices won't give their own servants a bad example. Now this is my misfortune. I dare not speak in the house while that jade gypsy dings about like a fury. Once I had the better end of a staff. And how comes the change now? Why, the mother of all this mischief is a priest. A priest? Aye, a damned son of a whore of Babylon that came over hither to say grace to the French officers and eat up our provisions. There's not a day goes over his head without a dinner or a supper in this house. How came he so familiar in the family? Because he speaks English as if he had lived here all his life, and tells lies as if he had been a traveller from his cradle. And this priest, I'm afraid, has converted the affections of your gypsy. Converted, I and perverted, my dear friend, for I'm afraid he has made her a whore and a papist. But that is not all. There's the French Count and Mrs. Sullen. They're in the Confederacy, and for some private ends of their own, to be sure. A very hopeful family yours, Brother Scrub. Suppose the maiden lady has her lover, too. Not that I know. She's the best of them, that's the truth on it. But they take care to prevent my curiosity by giving me so much business that I'm a perfect slave. What do you think is my place in this family? Butler, I suppose. I, Lord, help you. I tell you, of a Monday I drive the coach, of a Tuesday I drive the plough, on Wednesday I follow the hounds, of Thursday I dun the tenants, on Friday I go to market, and on Saturday I draw warrants, and on Sunday I draw beers. Ha, ha, ha! If variety be a pleasure in life, you have enough on it, my dear brother. But what ladies are those? Ours, ours. Set upon the right hand is Mrs. Sullen, and the other is Mrs. Dorinda. Don't mind him. Sit still, man. Enter Mrs. Sullen and Dorinda. I have heard my brother talk of Lord Aimwell, but they say that his brother is the finer gentleman. That's impossible, sister. He's vastly rich, but very close, they say. No matter for that. If I can creep into his heart, I'll open his breast. I warrant him. I have heard say that people may be guessed at by the behaviour of their servants. I could wish we might talk to that fellow. So do I, for I think he's a very pretty fellow. Come this way. I'll throw out a lure for him presently. Dorinda and Mrs. Sullen walk a turn towards the opposite side of the stage. Archer, aside. Corn, wine, and oil indeed. But I think the wife has the greatest plenty of flesh and blood. She should be my choice. Ay, ay. Say you so? Mrs. Sullen drops her glove. Archer runs, takes it up, and gives to her. Madam, your ladyship's glove. Oh, sir, I thank you. 
to Dorinda. What a handsome bow the fellow has. Bow? Why, I have known several footmen come down from London set up here for dancing masters, and carry off the best fortunes in the country. Archer, aside. That project, for aught I know, had been better than ours. To Scrub. Brother Scrub, why don't you introduce me? Ladies, this is the strange gentleman's servant that you saw at church today. I understood he came from London, and so I invited him to the cellar that he might show me the newest flourish in wetting my knives. And I hope you have made much of him. Oh, yes, madam. But the strength of your ladyship's liquor is a little too potent for the constitution of your humble servant. What, then? You don't usually drink ale? No, madam. My constant drink is tea or a little wine and water. Tis prescribed to me by the physician for a remedy against the spleen. Ula, ula, footmen have the spleen. I thought that distemper had been only proper to people of quality. Madam, like all other fashions, it wears out, and so descends to their servants. Though in a great many of us, I believe, it proceeds from some melancholy particles in the blood, occasioned by the stagnation of wages. Dorinda, aside to Mrs. Sullen, how affectedly the fellow talks. To Archer. How long, pray, have you served your present master? Not long. My life has been mostly spent in the service of the ladies. And pray, which service do you like best? Madam, the ladies pay best. The honour of serving them is sufficient wages. There is a charm in their looks that delivers a pleasure with their commands, and gives our duty the wings of inclination. Mrs. Sullen, aside... That flight was above the pitch of a livery. Aloud. And, sir, would not you be satisfied to serve a lady again? As a groom of the chamber, madam, but not as a footman. I suppose you served as footman before? For that reason I would not serve in that post again, for my memory is too weak for the load of messages that the ladies lay upon their servants in London. My lady Howgy, the last mistress I served, called me up one morning and told me, Martin, Go to my lady all night with my humble service. Tell her I was to wait on her ladyship yesterday, and left word with Mrs. Rebecca, that the preliminaries of the affair she knows of are stopped till we know the concurrence of the person that I know of, for which there are circumstances wanting which we shall accommodate at the old place, but that in the meantime there is a person about her ladyship that from several hints and surmises was accessory at a certain time to the disappointments that naturally attend things, that to her knowledge are of more importance. <laughs> Where are you going, sir? Why, I hadn't half done. The whole houndy was about a half an hour long. So I happened to misplace two syllables and was turned off and rendered incapable. Dorinda, aside to Mrs. Sullen, the pleasantest fellow, sister, I ever saw, to Archer, but friend, if your master be married, I presume you still serve a lady. No, madam, I take care never to come into a married family. The commands of the master and mistress are always so contrary that tis impossible to please both. There's a main point gained. My lord is not married, I find. Aside. But I wonder, friend, that in so many good services you had not a better provision made for you. I don't know how, madam. I had a lieutenancy offered me three or four times, but that is not bread, madam. I live much better as I do. Madam, he sings rarely. I was thought to do pretty well here in the country till he came, but alack a day, I'm nothing to my brother Martin. Does he? Pray, sir, will you oblige us with a song? 
are you for passion or humour holy he has the purest ballad about a trifle a trifle pray sir let's have it i am ashamed to offer you a trifle madam but since you command me a trifling song you shall hear begun with a trifle and ended all trifling people draw near and i shall be nobly attended were it not for trifles of few that lately have come into play the men will want something to do and the women want something to say what makes men trifle in dressing because the ladies they know admire by often possessing that eminent trifle a bow when the lover is moments has trifled the trifle of trifles to gain no sooner the virgin is rifled but a trifle shall part them again what mortal man would be able at white sapphire to sit or who could bear a tea-table without talking of trifles for wit the court is from trifles secure gold keys are no trifles we see white rods are no trifles from shore whatever their bearers may be but if you will go to the place where trifles abundantly breed the levy will show you his grace makes promises trifles indeed a coach with six footmen behind i count neither trifle nor sin but ye gods how oft do we find a scandalous trifle within a flask of champagne people think it a trifle is something as bad but if you'll contrive how to drink it you'll find it no trifle gad a parson's a trifle at sea a widow's a trifle in sorrow a piece is a trifle to-day who knows what may happen to-morrow a black coat a trifle may cloak or to hide it the red may endeavour but if once the armoury is broke we shall have more trifles than ever the stage is a trifle they say the reason pray carry along because at every new play the house they with trifles so throng but with people's malice to trifle and to set us all on a foot the author of this is a trifle and his song is a trifle to boot very well sir we're obliged to you something for a pair of gloves offering him money i humbly beg leave to be excused my master madam pays me nor dare i take money from another hand without injuring his honour and disobeying his commands exit archer and scrub this is surprising did you ever see so pretty a well-bred fellow the devil take him for wearing that livery i fancy sister he may be some gentleman a friend of my lord's that his lordship has pitched upon for his courage fidelity and discretion to bear him company in this dress and who ten to one was his second too it is so it must be so and it shall be so for i like him what better than the count the count happened to be the most agreeable man upon the place and so i chose him to serve me in my design upon my husband but i should like this fellow better in a design upon myself but now sister for an interview with this lord and this gentleman how shall we bring that about patience you country ladies give no quarter if once you be entered would you prevent their desires and give the fellows no wishing time look ye dorinda if my lord aimwell loves you or deserves you he'll find a way to see you and there we must leave it my business comes now upon the tapis have you prepared your brother yes yes and how did he relish it he said little mumbled something to himself promised to be guided by me but here he comes enter squire sullen what singing was that i heard just now the singing in your head my dear you complained of it all day you're impertinent i was ever so since i became one flesh with you one flesh rather two carcasses joined unnaturally together or rather a living soul coupled to a dead body 
So, this is fine encouragement for me. Yes, my wife shows you what you must do. And my husband shows you what you must suffer. Steph, why can't you be silent? Steph, why can't you talk? Do you talk to any purpose? Do you think to any purpose? Sister, Archie, I... Whispers. I shan't be home till it be late. Exit. What did he whisper to ye? That he would go round the back way, come into the closet, and listen as I directed him. But let me beg you once more, dear sister, to drop this project, for as I told you before, instead of awaking him to kindness, you may provoke him to a rage, and then who knows how far his brutality may carry him? I am provided to receive him, I warrant you. But here comes the Count. Vanish! Exit Dorinda. Enter Count Belair. Don't you wonder, Monsieur le Count, that I was not at church this afternoon? I more wonder, madame, that you go there at all, or how you dare to lift those eyes to heaven that are guilty of so much killing. If heaven, sir, has given to my eyes with the power of killing the virtue of making a cure, I hope the one may atone for the other. Oh, largely, madame, would your ladyship be as ready to apply the remedy as to give the wound? Consider, madame, I am doubly a prisoner, first to the arms of your general, then to your more conquering eyes. My first chains are easy. Their ransom may redeem me. But from your fetters I never shall get free. Alas, sir, why should you complain to me of your captivity, who am in chains myself? You know, sir, that I am bound— nay, must be tied up in that particular that might give you ease. I am, like you, a prisoner of war. Of war, indeed. I have given my parole of honour. Would you break yours to gain your liberty? Most certainly I would, were I a prisoner among the Turks. This is your case. You're a slave, madame, slave to the worst of Turks. A husband. There lies my foible, I confess. No fortifications, no courage, conduct, nor vigilancy can pretend to defend a place where the cruelty of the governor forces the garrison to mutiny. And where the besieger is resolved to die before a place, here will I fix. Kneels. With tears, vows, and prayers assault your heart, and never rise till you surrender. Or if I must storm, Love and Saint Michael, and so I begin the attack. Stand off! Aside. Sure he hears me not, and I could almost wish he did not. The fellow makes love very prettily. Aloud. But, sir, why should you put such a value upon my person, when you see it despised by one that knows it so much better? He knows it not, though he possesses it. If he but knew the value of the jewel he is master of, he would always wear it next his heart, and sleep with it in his arms. But since he throws me unregarded from him— And one that knows your value well, comes by and takes you up, is it not justice? Goes to lay hold of her. Enter Squire Sullen, with his sword drawn. Hold, villain! Hold! Mrs. Sullen, presenting a pistol. Do you hold? What? 
murder your husband to defend your bully bully for shame mr sullen bullies wear long swords the gentleman has none he's a prisoner you know i was aware of your outrage and prepared this to receive your violence and if occasion were to preserve myself against the force of this other gentleman oh madame your eyes be better firearms than your pistol they never miss what court my wife to my face pray mr sullen put up suspend your fury for a minute to give you time to invent an excuse i need none no for i heard every syllable of your discourse ah that make out i think the dialogue was very pretty then i suppose sir you had something of your own barbarity barbarity Oons, what does the woman call barbarity do i ever meddle with you no as for you sir i shall take another time ah begad so must i look ye madam don't think that my anger proceeds from any concern i have for your honour but for my own and if you can contrive any way of being a whore without making me a cuckold do it and welcome sir i thank you kindly you would allow me the sin but rob me of the pleasure no no i am resolved never to venture upon the crime without the satisfaction of seeing you punished for it then will you grant me this my dear let anybody else do you the favour but that frenchman for i mortally hate his whole generation exit ah sir that be ungrateful for i love some of yours madame approaching her no sir no sir garzou madame i am not your husband tis time to undeceive you sir i believed your addresses to me were no more than an amusement and i hope you will think the same of my complaisance and to convince you that you ought you must know that i brought you hither only to make you instrumental in setting me right with my husband for he was planted to listen by my appointment by your appointment certainly and so madame while i was telling twenty stories to part you from your husband began, i was bringing you together all the while i ask your pardon sir but i hope this will give you a taste of the virtue of the english ladies begar madame your virtue be very great but garun your honesty be very little re-enter dorinda nay now you're angry sir oh angry ah fair dorinda fair dorinda happy 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 mayest thou ever be madame when your ladyship want a fool send for me fair dorinda happy revenge fair dorinda happy 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 Revenge.
Exit singing. There goes the true humour of his nation, resentment with good manners, and the height of anger in a song. Well, sister, you must be judge, for you have heard the trial. And I bring in my brother guilty. But I must bear the punishment. Tis hard, sister. I own it, but you must have patience. Patience? The cant of custom. Providence sends no evil without a remedy. Should I lie groaning under a yoke I can shake off, I were accessory to my ruin, and my patience were no better than self-murder. But how can you shake off the yoke? Your divisions don't come within the reach of the law for a divorce. Law? What law can search into the remote abyss of nature? What evidence can prove the unaccountable disaffections of wedlock? Can a jury sum up the endless aversions that are rooted in our souls, or a bench give judgment upon antipathies? They never pretended, sister. They never meddle, but in case of uncleanness. Uncleanness? Oh, sister! Casual violation is a transient injury, and may possibly be repaired. But can radical hatreds ever be reconciled? No, no, sister. Nature is the first lawgiver, and when she has set tempers opposite, not all the golden links of wedlock nor iron manacles of law can keep them fast. Wedlock we own ordained by heaven's decree, but such as heaven ordained it first to be. Concurring tempers in the man and wife has mutual helps to draw the load of life. View all the works of providence above, the stars with harmony and concord move. View all the works of providence below, the fire, the water, earth and air we know, all in one plant agree to make it grow. Must man, the chiefest work of art divine, be doomed in endless discord to repine? No. We should injure heaven by that surmise. Omnipotence is just, were man but wise. Exeunt. End of Act Three